Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Tell me, Julie. Where do, how do you stir up your creativity? You've got a lot of creativity in that uh, that melon of yours. How do you how do you get it going? Wow. Um, you know what? I usually look at certain books that uh, I think are intriguing, or um, sometimes I just sit down and write and just try to empty out all the goo. Yeah. Yeah. What about yourself? Um, you know, it depends on the task, I guess. But uh, I, I I find music tends to help. Put on some sort of music that seems fitting to. You know, if I'm, if it's a particular writing assignment or project, you know, like what kind of music would stir me and get me into this? Yeah. Um, a little coffee doesn't help. I mean, doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, a lot of coffee does, coffee doesn't help. Um, a small amount of coffee certainly helps. Uh, but, um, but, uh, yeah, it's sort of setting the mood. And then, of course, inspiration from other things. If there's, you know, look at, looking at, uh, looking at, at writing that I really like. Yeah. Looking at uh, at art that I really like, and just you know becoming inspired and sort of mishmashing ideas together. Yeah, I will say that um, sometimes I'll dance around too, which is yeah. a horrible admission. But I will, um, I'll do like kind of eighties moves around the furniture and like high kicks and. Um, <laughs> like <laughs> you think I'm kidding? I'm just imagining you doing like kung fu in your in your living room or something yeah. to, to get like yes. stoked up. Yeah, right. yeah. I don't know. There's something about movement that's really freeing and. Huh. Um, I think that kind of goes back to that whole 
thing about music and, and they're inherently being that part of your brain that wants to move. Right. Huh. Get things going. Anyway, yeah, these are the ways that, that, um, you know, we, we kind of throw out the marbles of creativity and have fun. Yeah. And it, the creativity is one of those things. Everybody wants a slice of this pie. If you've got a slice of this pie, you want a bigger slice. Like nobody, I've, I've never heard anybody say, man, I'm just too creative. I wish I was just a little less creative. Right. And maybe I, you know, everybody's <laughs> like, oh man, I wish I could, you know, you know, every, you know, even if you, you were not having, you're not, you don't have writer's block or you're, ha- you're not, you know, having trouble coming up with the ideas. Everybody could use a little, a little bit more. And, and also everybody's been trying to understand it. Um, uh, you know, besides the fact that you could potentially market something to improve creativity, uh, you know, it's just one of the big questions about, uh, you know, who we are. Uh, we're a creative species. So right. what's at the bottom of that, right? Yeah. So what's, what is the science behind creativity? If you can even look at it that way, which thanks to fMRI, once again, we have a way that we can start to measure these things. Yeah. So it's not just, um, you know, certain disciplines that are able to, ex- you know, expound on the, the greatness of creativity and how we can go after it. We can, we can look at the muse if we want, but then we can also look at fMRI and say, okay, what, what's actually driving us yeah. in this process? There are a number of different views on it that, uh, have come out over the years, uh, that don't involve fMRIs that, uh, that I find interesting. Some of these I think we can sort of, we'll, we'll just sort of judge these as we go through. All right. We'll, uh, we'll turn, I will turn on my turn judge, on judging, judging mind. Yeah. yeah. Turn, on, turn on the judging mind. We'll, we'll discuss it more later. But, uh, first there's the cognitive view. And, uh, this is kind of like the basic, idea here is that like even a computer if properly programmed could get really creative yeah it's just a matter of uh you know data a plus data b i will combine into novel or mashup track you know that kind of thing i just want to note that you're doing robot hands right now just just so people can get the full effect well we did them in yoga last night so i I got all into your robot hands wow yeah robo yoga yeah the one where you lay down on the floor and you make robot hands no maybe you guys don't do that no sorry (laughs) (laughs) mine are less robotic Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. More touchy feely. Um, okay. So that's one of them. Then there's the psychoanalytic, uh, Freudian view. And this one, um, mm-hmm. I don't really like because, uh, this one says that creativity is an occurrence of the subconscious. All right. Well, that's fine. But, uh, it also gets into the idea that humans attempt to avoid pain through the creation of daydreams and dreams and fantasies. And, uh, if you follow this theory, it's like every like cool creative thing that has ever been is us trying to avoid pain. Um, which is a, is a reaction to like a, depressive circumstance yeah and just to just sort of like i gotta get my mind out of this world and this life i'm gonna you know it's just which which holds up with i i think the thing is some of the a lot of these uh examples like they can hold up under certain types of creativity yeah and you could say all right well there you know this is an example somebody trying to escape some hard circumstances and maybe they're doing a little bit of dreaming to get out of this world right but then like how do you explain somebody like bobby mcferrin bobby mcferrin's happy bobby mcferrin's creative bobby mcferrin couldn't exist under this uh you. He doesn't need to escape his reality. He creates his reality. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's Mr. a happy McFerrin. man. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I think, um, I have problems with this. No, one. I see that because yeah. it's limiting. Yeah. Then there's the, uh, behavioralist view. And, uh, this is, uh, this one states that creativity is a combination of previously known knowledge joined together spontan, uh, with, with a lot of spontaneity. Okay. All right. Um, and, uh, and it's also, you know, it's about conditioned response to, uh, to situations. Now, this one I, I kind of like. It's, it's just kind of like strikes me as kind of like the mashup approach, you know, where it's like I'm looking at this. I'm looking at this. They come together, new combinations or new ideas. And, uh, you know, c- kind of falling into stuff we've talked about in uh, in the Dream Inspiration, the Dream okay. Inception podcast. We're talking about the brain kind of does this where it, it sort of throws things together 
different combinations and uh, an insight can sort of emerge from this. Okay. Because when you say behavioralist, I always think about B.F. Skinner. Mm-hmm. And then I start thinking about Pavlov's dog. Yeah. And, and could Pavlov's dog have been creative? I guess you, I, yeah, that's the, that's the downside to it because it does make it a situation where this is conditioned response to a situation. Right. So, um, so yeah, B.F. Skinner is kind of a killjoy to everything. Drag him into I know. His, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm sure the dog was creative, probably did get creative <laughs> time after time after time that the bell was rung and it started salivating. Um, then there's the, uh, another one is the intrinsic motivational view. And this is the, uh, the idea that, um, people reach their creative potential through the desire for pleasure and the activities that they engage in. Um, and of course the, the major criticism on this is that not all creativity or, you know, in, inventive enterprise comes out of an enjoyment of an activity. Now I would, I would argue that it helps if, if right. you enjoy it. I mean, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm having a hard time thinking of an example where somebody did something really creative and awesome and hated every minute of it. No, and I, I know I've said this like probably a million times in the um, previous podcast, but, you know, it's that whole obsessive quality to it that the mind plays with what it loves, yeah. essentially, right? So that's perhaps why we perhaps why we dream about certain things or we just keep sort of rotating a certain problem around in our mind because yeah. we want to find the solution. Yeah, to take a ter- totally non-scientific uh Slant on it. It's kind of like the whole uh, you can taste the love thing about food, you know, like this this oh, meal right. was prepared yeah, yeah. by somebody who was really into it. And you can taste the love. And this meal was made in a factory. And there's, you know, love is not on the list of crazy, um, <laughs> long winded ingredients. <laughs> Hydrogenated, hydrogenated yeah. peanut oil, love. Yeah. High fructose corn syrup. Yeah. So, but but I think there's a you know there's a sense of that in a lot of things. It's like if if someone doesn't care about it, if they're not passionate about it, mm-hmm. they're not obsessed at least on some level with it. If the brain's not like you say playing with what it it loves, then you, you can you can generally tell because it's kind of it's going to be crap. Yeah, yeah. But, I'm also thinking too about coffee since you've already mentioned it mm-hmm. and that great TED talk that you sent me. Oh yes, yes. About uh, yeah, where does creativity come from? Yeah, coffee. Yeah, yeah. The coffee. <laughs> Because the argument there was that before coffee really uh, integrated European society, people weren't drinking water because that stuff will make you sick. Right. So what do you drink all day? Alcohol. Exactly. All day long. <laughs> Morning to night. <laughs> Just a complete stupor for centuries. Yeah. 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 And this is Stephen Johnson, right? Uh, he, he's a writer and a founder of Feed Magazine. Oh, cool. And uh, he was talking about that. He was saying, like, look, here, here you have a depressant mm-hmm. alcohol for all of this time. You know, uh, up until like the 1600s and then boom, coffee houses. Yeah. You not only have the stimulant, but you also have the culture. And the interaction. It's, the interaction, yeah. the the flow of ideas. And all of a sudden, the age of enlightenment is starting to percolate <laughs> <laughs> in the UK, which is really interesting. Yeah. Elsewhere, it's still fermenting, right? Yes. Oh, that's too far. <laughs> oh, too that's far. Nice. That wasn't very creative. I don't know. I like that. <laughs> um. Well, let's get into one more view, uh, take on this before we get into the, uh, the more scientific stuff. And that is the, uh, developmental view. Okay. And, uh, that, this one's another one I really don't like. Cause this one, this one sounds like, uh, you know, the, the hard, uh, you know, this hard faced father that doesn't want his child to, uh, you know, to, to write poetry, but wants him to play for the football team kind of a thing. Okay. Cause it's, uh, in general, the or tiger mom. Right. right. Yeah. Amy <laughs> tiger Chua. Mom. Yeah. Well, at least she's, you know, making them play the piano or That's start true. The on the front porch. That's true. The violin is a uh, very creative instrument. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow. 
So uh, this one maintains that the majority of creative behavior exists in younger life, and uh, and and it's uh, these these younger developmental years that uh, that stir us to to become creative. Okay. And then as as we grow out of that, we grow out of such foolish ideas as creating things that are beautiful. Oh. Yeah, and we get down to the hard science of uh, in the in the in, well, but see that's the other thing. So the, something the, inside us dies. Something inside us <laughs> dies. We get older, and and you know I think this is one of those that you can sort of. I, I I don't agree with it, but if you hold it up, you can say, "Oh well, look this uh, this artist. They sure did run out of good ideas as they got older." Uh, but but then you see so many uh, people who are just contrary to the rule. Like one right. of my one of my favorite uh, authors is this guy Brian McNaughton, and it wasn't until the end of his life that he wrote like his this really awesome collection of short stories called Throne of Bones, and it was like the last thing he really wrote, and then he kind of then he kind of trickled off and died. But he wrote that like well into his. Uh, like into his fifties, I think. So I was actually doing, looking at some research on peak years, uh, depending on different disciplines, mm-hmm. and it turns out that uh, writers actually peak after their forties, generally, huh. and that uh, poets like twenties, huh. and then it's over. Wow, I know it's, it's very odd, uh, but I wonder if it kind of goes back to that idea that there's there's something. Um, Intrinsic to the way that you are looking at the world when everything is fresh and new. Yeah. Or maybe the, the writers somehow avoid getting a real job until the mid forties and the poets are able to find uh, gainful and uh, gainful employment. Yeah. Yeah. That. That's right. They didn't really widen the circumstances of the studies they were looking at to include that information. <laughs> so it's very possible. Um, but you know, when I think about creativity, I always think about the right brain. Oh, yes. I have to say, I, I was one of those people who thought, oh, okay, this is, you know, I'm a right brain person or I'm a left brain person. And that seems to be something that is completely inar- inaccurate that came out of some sort of 70s notion of personality tests. Yeah, but people loved it because it has this sort of star-bellied sneeches kind of uh, thing to it where <laughs> yeah. it's – and it's like it's a it's a war between the creatives and the non-creatives. It's the left brain versus the right brain. Right. And this idea of an internal struggle too. Yeah, but in, in fact, it's actually a lot more nuanced than that. Yeah. And um, the, it was a conclusion from one study by surgeon and jazz musician Charles Lim, mm-hmm. who we will now refer to as the jazz doctor. Oh, yeah. The jazz doctor. And, and that is that there is no single creative area of the brain. So there's no focal activation of a single area, which is really important. Yeah. You got a whole lot of stuff going on there. And it's, it's not like you can say, look, there's the creativity right there. It's, right. It, you, you look at these uh, fMRIs of people uh, engaging in creative uh, activities and it's, uh, you know, it, it's throughout the brain. It's not like, you know, just one little portion lighting up. Yeah. And when they were looking at some of these activities too, a lot of them were music based ones. And we mm-hmm. saw this, uh, when we were doing research for music and the brain, uh-huh. same thing, like the entire head is, uh, or the entire brain is lighting up like a pinball machine. Um, so that, that's the interesting part about this. You know, you've got language, you've got the seat of judgment, so on and so forth. Yeah. The, I was really impressed with this one in the, that they had like a special keyboard. Uh, created that could uh, basically go inside the fMRI. Yeah. Which, it, it, again, the fMRI, have you ever seen, you know, people going into a giant, you know, big, big square device with a little hole in it and they, you know, they put them in, they have, you have to be real, real still. Like that's the fMRI. Yeah. And, uh, and so they had to create this little keyboard that they could, uh, the, the jazz musicians could, uh, could do a little improv piano playing on yeah. while they were in it. So, it, and they had to create it so that it had like, you know, minimal interference with the fMRI and it sent like a MIDI signal. To a computer, yes. and then, and then that was so they could hear it yeah, back, yeah. yeah. Um, which is yeah, it's so incredible. Of course, the jazz doctor would do that, right? Yeah. 
And again, that's Charles Lim. He's looking at these MRI scans of jazz musicians and rappers. Free, yeah, freestyle rappers. It was, this part, that part was really amazing too, where he was getting like, uh, he was looking like it with a number of Baltimore area hip hop artists. Yeah. And like getting them in, put, throwing them in the FMRI and, and just getting them fr- freestyling. Yeah. And this is the cool thing. And this is, this is how he, uh, created this study is with the jazz musicians, he had them learn a piece of music that he wrote that was only familiar to him. Mm-hmm. And then he asked them to play it back and they scanned their brains. And then he asked them, okay, can you improvise on this? They looked at the improvisation and the brain scanning at the same time. Same thing with the rappers. They had the rappers rap something that the jazz doctor wrote, which is pretty fun. It's actually pretty good for like a non-rapper. Um <laughs> Well, says, I don't, I don't. says me who has no <laughs> experience in the rap world. It's it's adorable, but I don't know if it's it is good. Actually. Okay, you're right. It's a, it's adorable <laughs> rapping. And then there are certain words that are highlighted in this um in this prepared jazz excuse me, not jazz, uh rap that Dr. Jazz says, "Okay, now rapper, can you take those at certain cues, take those words, and now you start to freestyle, mm-hmm. you start to improv- improvise on this." And what's really interesting is they found that there are um, a couple parts of the brain that that went really quiet during the improvisation, and this is the um, the brain's dorsal, lateral, prefrontal, and lateral orbital regions. Okay, just okay. so you know. I'm just right. for the just for the record. Okay, I'm touching that part of my head now. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Yep. yep. And that's the seat of judgment. So Ooh. what that was telling us is that in order to improvise, to reach what I think is sort of like an apex of creativity, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're just freeforming anything, then you're really relying on um, not just your own past experiences, but you're really playing with form. And so that part that's like, oh, you're no good. Oh, stop doing that. Yeah. Which is called the observer effect, actually, in writing. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. That part goes quiet. So we know that, that in order to reach that sort of state, you have to be able to get in some sort of flow. Okay. So this is, yeah, this is the flow moment. This is like yeah. when you're writing and suddenly you don't even realize that the music has stopped playing and you're just going. Yep. Okay. Yep. And then what they saw is that the medial prefrontal cortex was going nuts. Um, and they also, the, uh, and that allows self-expression, by the way. So, you know, there's, there's a actual hard data here as much as it can be with fMRI that points to at least this one part of it. We know that we have to be in this sort of frame of mind. Huh. And, and it actually falls in line with any, if anybody out there has ever taken an improv class, yeah. um, you know, that, um, as I recall from like acting classes back in college, um, you know, they're always like, you know, don't, don't think of, don't, you know, don't bring your judgment into it. Just go with it. Just, you know, don't, don't worry about looking like a fool. Because, because that's gonna, that's gonna get in the way of doing something. Which, you know? like, for 99.9% of the population is really hard to do. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the same. I mean, anytime you create something, you're going out on a limb and you've gotta, you gotta be on one level, you gotta be confident in what you're doing, but also just kind of like, yeah, some people may not dig it and we're gonna roll with that. I do that every time I get behind this microphone, I guess. Has, yeah, me yeah. too. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have to have the passion for it too, right? Yeah. So there, that, that's where that, comes into play you want to be able to have fun with it and um mm-hmm. and hang out with whatever format you are using whether or not it's podcasting or um whether or not it's scientific research or astrophysicists all of that creativity yeah. comes into play well that's something that yeah that, that also is important to stress about like the whole idea of like where does creativity come from there's also this kind of false dichotomy between like artistic creativity and scientific uh creativity 
Uh, yeah, it's kind of it's sort of been like gangs, you yeah. know, like East Side, West Side yeah. in the past because they never thought that the two would meet. But since we're learning so much more about how creativ- creativity works, we realize that it's across the board. Yeah. Um, and in fact, and that actually makes me think about that Stephen Johnson Ted uh, video because he talks about that sort of improv that happens. Um, and he used the example of when Sputnik was launched. And how there were some astrophysicists hanging around and mm-hmm. someone was like, hey, can you guys figure out the trajectory of that? Can you do those frontwards and backwards? And they, they just as a, you know, OK, well, we'll just sit down and do this for eight hours sort of thing. Uh-huh. We're playing with that data, which led to what we now know as GPS. Right. Yeah. It's just so cool. That is that is that's incredible. It's not even something they set out to do. It's just sort of a game for them. Uh, another thing that I wanted to talk about, too, uh, in terms of myths is that there's this lone creative genius idea. So, again, talking about these astrophysicists who got together on this problem, um, you know, that that flies in the face of what we always think of as this person, you know, toiling away at whatever they're doing and having that eureka moment when, in fact, we, we know that it really takes a village, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, and that usually and of course, it can be a solitary endeavor, but it's not usually something that just happens out of the blue. It's usually um, something that someone's been working on for a really long time. And it's almost like um, in terms of groups, sort of like emergence like we talked about in that podcast where everybody is pooling their intelligence and that's creating all of this um, really interesting, innovative ways to look at a problem and to tackle it. Yeah. And I was even thinking about someone like the artist Damien Hirst, who's done like the huge puppy dog sculpture. Ooh, I don't think I've seen that. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I don't even I want to say it's like a hundred feet high. <laughs> and um he's done different versions of them and you know, it's it's a highly polished veneer. It looks like metal and it reflects back the person looking at it. And huh. for some reason it's really mesmerizing. It's very cool. Anyway, he's done a, a lot of this sort of um pop art, I suppose you could call it. But the fact of the matter is that this guy has a huge team of artists working under him mm-hmm. who feed him ideas, who come up with color samples. And so it's not like just Damien Hirst sitting there being a genius. Uh, so it's kind of like uh, Mr. Brainwash. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. From the documentary uh, um, Exit, Exit Through the, the shop, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's relying on a lot of different people to get together on these ideas. And, of course, he's, you know, I guess you could say that He's the person who's directing the project. Mm-hmm. But without all of those people under him, there's no way that he could pull off the sort of art that he does. It's like the George Lucas factor. You know, it's like yes. when, you, when you look at the creation of the original Star Wars movies, it's like, yeah, Lucas had like this idea. But then he's like, all right, guys, design me this, design me that. And, you know, uh, so I, I, I kind of think of like Mr. Brainwash and George Lucas in the same, <laughs> the same area. Yeah, no, it is, but it, you know, it may have been him who looked at a bridge and then said, "Oh, the way that that bridge is constructed, how how can I fit that into this worldview that I'm creating?" Yeah, um, which is really interesting. But you're right; it takes a um, a fleet of people to pull that off. <laughs> I star, no Starfleet, it's Star Trek. Sorry. I know, yeah. Oh man, that was almost a huge nerd photo. Uh, yeah, for there, huge. Um, yeah, and it's, it gets into the idea of um, the of, of collective intelligence. Mm-hmm. You know that. Um, that it's, uh, you know, it's about interaction between individuals. And uh, uh, and I actually ran across this great quote from uh, Wall Street Journal's Matt Ridley. Um, and, and he he was uh, his whole thing was that, like, there's hope for the future because, quote, ideas are having sex with each other as never before. You know, and uh, 
Because it's because of the idea is that like modern innovation doesn't depend on a single human brain to contain it. Yeah. Because you have you have all these people working working on things, and then it's it's like everybody is like has the uh, like I sometimes when I think of creativity, I think of like the the, the maple syrup spigot you put in the tree, except mm-hmm. it's stuck in the the side of your head. Like everybody can squeeze out a cup each day, but through like modern science and modern culture, everybody is taking that uh, little cup of syrup and they're pouring it into the the collective ocean of syrup uh, that we continue to pull from. Then it's just our job to wade through the syrup and figure out what it is that yes. we need syrup from the syrup. Waders. Yeah. 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 Which, I mean, presents its own problem, right? Yeah. Uh, we get into the whole idea of, uh, you know, web uh, 3.0 and the, the semantic web where the, the web, the, the, the syrup ocean will wade through itself um, at our slightest command. It gets, it gets pretty deep. It's pretty sticky. Yeah. Sticky. Mm, I don't know what's going on here. There's a lot of punning <laughs> going on. Um, well, that makes me think of dopamine, of course. Yes, this is the uh, the 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 good stuff, if you will. Right? Yeah, yeah, the syrupy stuff. Um, there's a, a sort of dopamine factor, if you will. And uh, researchers were studying receptors in the brain, and they found at the Karolinska Institute um, <laughs> uh, that there's a dopamine system in healthy, highly creative people that's similar to some people with schizophrenia. Okay. So it's almost like this dopamine gene. Actually, it's not almost. It is. Um, they found they have found actually that the dopamine receptors are linked to the ability for divergent thought, which is really necessary in creative thinking or innovative thinking. Um, the study measured the creativity of the healthy individuals using psychological tests, and then the task was to find as many solutions to a problem as possible. And so. They found that highly creative people, they're calling them healthy people because they don't have schizophrenia. And schizophrenic people have a low density of dopamine receptors. And what this means is that the dopamine receptors in the thalamus, which is linked to the sensory information that gets passed on to the cerebral cortex, um, means that there's a lower degree of signal filtering. Hmm. And so there's a higher flow of information from the thalamus, which really means that like what might get sort of plugged up before all these ideas are actually coming through at an incredible rate is what I'm thinking is that you're just getting bombarded by all these different ideas, which I thought was pretty fascinating. Yeah. So that sort of accounts for some of the more uh, bizarre symptoms that you see in schizophrenia. But in a healthy person, that accounts for uh, their ability to make creative associations pretty easily. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if this guy had schizophrenia, but there's this guy on the train uh, a couple of weeks ago. Already, just, you say the train. Yeah. yeah, and it was just amazing stuff. I mean, he, he seemed. I, I I can enjoy it because he seemed very happy. He was not a like you know. He did not seem to be in misery. Yeah, but he was like sort of giving this. He was preaching this kind of Afrofuturist message, um, and it had to do with like the face on Mars and the Kennedy assassination, and like. Okay, there's already a red flag Kennedy assassination. Okay, go on. Oh, no, Elvis showed up in it, and there was a whole thing. Are you of, kidding? No, I'm not kidding. I, I actually recorded it, uh, and I have it kicking around here somewhere. But um, Oh, God, you've got to – please, we've got to put that on Facebook in some way. If I don't know if we can do audio files. Well, oh, well, we, we can. I just uh, – I guess I'll have to check and see if this one's kosher. Because it also right. gets into, like, the idea that the sun is racist and has a brain. So It could be. It could be. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, – Man was asking questions. There was a lot of interesting data, but it was like it was so like crazy creative that it was yeah. like, like I, that's why I recorded it, you know, because was like this is amazing. I I love this. Well, and obviously this is someone whose judgment part of the brain was completely shut off. Yeah, because he's most of us. Even if we had these thoughts, we wouldn't just spout them to the, an entire train full of people. No, no. Yeah. Not, I, I, 
I don't normally, at least. Um, but uh, that points to that whole madness aspect too, right? Yeah. Do yeah. you have to be crazy? Do you have to be deeply troubled to be creative? Right. Yeah. Which is the, again, another stereotype that we have about creativity. Um, but I thought it was interesting. I found this, um, Van Gogh, um, couple other folks, uh, Edgar Allan Poe, Lewis Carroll, um, according to Eve LaPlante, who has a book called Seized, that these are people who, uh, suffered from temporal lobe seizures. Mm-hmm. And so it could very well be that a lot of the art that they produced or the um, or, or the uh, books and so on and so forth were a result of that sort of hallucinatory period um, in which they were seeing things afresh. And you, if you look at Van Gogh's work, you can really see that, right? Because yeah. it's sort of like, it's sort of like he, here's the starry night one, right? Which is the archetypical uh, Van Gogh painting. And it, you recognize it, but it looks like the world has tilted about 30 degrees and everything is so much brighter and fresher looking, like these incredible, you know, colors popping out. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so intriguing about it is because it captures something that's familiar, but at the same time, completely alien. Huh. So there you go. I mean, there's, there is, um, that's something that we have intrinsically thought mad about, you know, Van Gogh and his paintings. But again, this is, very likely just a side effect of his own temporal lobe seizures. Hmm. Now, of course, uh, it's you know important to point out that not everybody who is intensely creative is crazy or no, has some no. sort of problem. But but it but it, but we often fall back on that. I, I find. Well, like, that's what I was yeah. sort of saying is that you know people sort of point to that and say, oh well, they're just mad. We, yeah. we know so much more now, medically, scientifically, about conditions that we can say, well, you know, this unique perspective was brought on by that. But you know, some people say that you could get that same perspective from trans uh, transcendental meditation. You know? Oh yeah, um, uh, the director uh, Lynch, David Lynch. Right? Yeah, yeah. thirty six years strong doing that. Wow. Every morning, every night. And he's completely normal. I mean, uh, he's totally normal. <laughs> um, and his films make perfect sense. They do. Well, yeah, Dune makes pretty decent uh, sense. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, there's an essay, uh, by, oh, uh, David Foster Wallace about Dune. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, my goodness. It's like, fascinating. I, I have to read that. Then. You do. It, it basically says, like, that's the reason why David Lynch can do what he can is because he took this one mainstream job. Um, but what I thought was interesting is David Lynch was talking about his meditating experience and he says, it's so beautiful how the enjoyment of beauty blossoms when the suffocating rubber clown suit of negativity begins to, to dissolve. Well, I have, which is so Lynchian. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, I kind of like just last night when I was having to like, uh, like I got off work, went to yoga and then after yoga, I came home, had dinner and then worked on this podcast a little more. Yeah. And and there's a like a you know there's a meditative aspect to to yoga and it kind of detaches sure. you and and I can totally get that I I I, I wish I had the uh, the patience for more like hardcore meditation maybe I'll get there. Did your rubber clown suit dissolve? Well, yes. Well, a, I'm I'm a yeah I'm I'm a proponent of uh, of rubber clown suit yoga, which is right. uh, one of the newer schools of of yoga. That's uh, this is uh, made different from the robot yoga, but the same place, right? Well, yeah. Well, we get robot yoga on yeah. Tuesdays, and yeah. then rubber clown yoga is on Fridays. Okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but I think that uh, again, there's this idea of being eccentric, um, and when we talk about temporal lobe activity, like mm-hmm. we were with Van Gogh, it makes me think about the alien abduction stories that we looked into. And again, here's this case where uh, Susan Blackmore, who 
is a psychologist and has really looked into this from a skeptic's point of view. I visited someone named Michael Persinger. I know you guys probably heard me talk about this before, but he's the guy who has the God machine, which has magnets, which can manipulate the frontal lobe, so on and so forth. And what they found is that people have in that area a high lability or a low lability. And what that means is that some people have more electromagnet, or excuse me, electroactivity going on in uh, the temporal lobes than other people. And those are people that have high lobilities. And those people actually, they, they, um, did some studies on them, and what they found is that they tend to be a little bit more creative hmm. um, or, and also a little bit more paranoid, too, <laughs> which is interesting. And these are the people that tend to have these experiences of feeling like they've been abducted before. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, you got the explosions in the mind, I think, is what it's boiling down to. Yeah. Well, I remember uh, the whole deal with uh, William Blake. Like, supposedly he was, you know, visited oh, by yeah. an angel as a child, and he had a lot of sort of craziness <laughs> Uh, going on. He's, I mean, um, from what I've, I've little I've read about him, he seemed to be a happy guy, but, uh, but he did have some pretty fantastic stuff going on in his life. Okay. So if I don't want to use drugs or I don't want to go mad, but I want to be creative, how do I do it best? Well, um, you know, I think, uh, some of the, um, the tips are, are, are kind of out there already. Like the ones, yeah. the ones that I like, um, are like experiencing new things and, you know, in traveling yeah. cause you, cause the, you know, there's a whole argument that time seems to, uh, like we experience time differently when we're on vacation because we're seeing everything new for the first time. Yeah. And that we experience that time seems to, um, speed up as we get older because we're seeing less new things. Yeah. And when we're younger, like there's so much that's new. There's so much that's bright. Wasn't it Einstein who said something about time slowing down when he's talking to a pretty girl? Yeah. Yeah. He used the whole, uh, beautiful woman, uh, um, 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 analogy to explain, uh, uh, relativity. Yeah. Such a rogue. Yeah. And he designed a spaceship. That was, they would load the whole of it with, uh, 5,000 beautiful women <laughs> right. and one male pilot. And he would look at a different beautiful woman each day and uh-huh. it would power the re- retail, the, 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 uh, the, this, you know, the special engines. That yeah. The little known NASA, um, yeah. uh, project that didn't get off the ground. Yeah. But so that's one, you know, I think it's like new, new experiences, uh, and then absorbing like creativity, you know, reading things, mm-hmm. looking at th- things that are creative, you know, you are what you eat kind of a, kind of a situation. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, and also, like I say, turn off that judgment center, uh, not being afraid to, to ask troubling questions about yourself. Um, yeah. And thought experiments, too. I thought this was interesting. Trying to mm-hmm. create a solution to a problem that you could never really like <laughs> something like uh, how do I say it? Like um, it would be an experiment that just had no solution. So right. how do I get my cat to make something for me for dinner that I would like to eat? Okay. Yeah, you see, you asked this one yesterday, and so now you quantified a little more because that's so I know because you started to answer it, and I was like, no, 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 not a dead bird. I don't want a dead <laughs> bird, and I want him to serve it to me, um, and I want it to be seasoned with rosemary. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so the mind starts to play with like, well, so okay, maybe I could put some treats around. I mean, and again, this is engaging your brain in all these different way, different ways of thinking. Yeah, or you know, it's like you mash up two ideas, and then you're like. All right. How does that work? You know, as a, as a story or as a, or as a piece of art or as, yeah. or as music. Um, it, you know, it, it's like a random combination and then you have to make sense of it. Uh, I, I really like that uh, view of things. Yeah. And, uh, and then there's collaboration too. Oh yeah. Yeah. As long as there's not competition because competition actually makes people squirrel away their best information and doesn't actually ever, uh, create some sort of group collective great thing. Hmm. So you have to, not be a squirreler or a wayer. 
No, no squirreling. No. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And sleep and dreaming, of course, we know. Yeah, sleep, sleep is big. Actually, sleep so your brain can, can function. Right. And can, and can do things other than just try and keep you from, uh, tipping over from lack of balance. And, uh, and yeah, like we, like we've shown, the, the, uh, our dreams are, it's like the, the mind's a defragmenter. So, uh, yeah. you know, let it run every now and then. Otherwise, that, uh, that hard drive's gonna crash. It's going to. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. Um, Speaking of defragging, we gonna do we have any uh, defragging on email here? We do. We have some listener mail that I'm gonna read uh, here for us. Uh, Jane writes in. She says, "Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know that in Japanese, uh, kawaii, uh, K-A-W-A-I-I. Uh, well, that's the you know the English version of the kanji. Uh, cute is pronounced ka, like the cawing of a crow. So ka." Ka, kawa, I see, I can't do it. Um, okay, no, wait, here, wait. Ka, like the cawing of a crow, wa is in water, and I, I, uh, as in the letter E. So, kawaii. Like Hawaii. Exactly. Okay. Kawaii. Cute. The way you were pronouncing it made it sound like kawaii, which in Japanese means scary. Which is the opposite of yeah. cute. Which is the, well, but then again, like I said, there's that whole, uh, kawaii noir. Thing which combines right, right, so, that's right, yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, just an uh, just an FYI, James says, love the podcast. Uh, so yes, thanks for the clarification on that. We actually received a, a couple of comments on that from yeah. the more uh, uh, f- from our listeners that are more in tune with uh, the Japanese language and or Japanese culture. Yes, and we also heard from Adam. Uh, Adam uh, wrote in and says, while listening to the podcast, I couldn't help but reflect, uh, and he's talking about the uh, podcast, Are You Smarter Than an Ant Swarm? He says, uh, I couldn't help but reflect on, on the Middle East and the protests going on right now. Is social media creating an emergence intelligence that is shaping our world today? I hear, hear stories of people using Twitter to avoid snipers and Facebook to organize marches in real time, and it all seems like something greater than our current understanding. Uh, so, yeah, that's some interesting thought. Yeah, I, I was looking at um, an RSS feed the other day and actually saw something I, that was ranking pretty high, but I didn't have a whole lot of time to look. But it was something about Facebook entry asking people um, to help them with the chemical properties of tear gas hmm. and how to um, ameliorate that, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, they're, they're doing all sorts of interesting things. Actually, uh, I... Uh uh, wrote an article called "Are Smartphones Worth It," mm-hmm. and it goes into a little to the idea of like smartphones being a- annoying in uh, you know modern Western culture, but also it goes into how it's how it was written. This was before the protest broke out. How it was helping to achieve social change in uh, in sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty cool. And indeed, just the other day, this Nigerian uh, guy contacted me on Facebook, and uh-huh. I'm sending him money. <laughs> To, to help help out uh, the situation there. Is so. he a deposed king? That yes, just, he is. Wow. Did you read about this on AP? On, uh, is there a story on AP or something? About no, it? I was contacted as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I, let, let's, I, let's I, both I, kick in on let, this. Let's talk about this later okay. because there's some really big things happening with that. <laughs> but, you know, I don't want to share with everybody. But if you want to share something with us, uh, check us out on Twitter and Facebook. We are Blow the Mind on both of those, and uh, we try to keep those uh, updated pretty regularly with all sorts of cool happenings on how stuff works and elsewhere on the web. And, hey, I was just sitting here thinking it is not Damien Hurst, who's the artist who did the big puppy dog. It is actually Jeff Koons. Damien Hurst is the guy that likes to play with animal carcasses. Um, <laughs> entirely different. So there you go. Jeff Koons, who has the uh, team of people helping him. So, to that end, do you guys have a team of people helping you? What sort of uh, things get your creative juices flowing? Let us know at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. 
For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.